0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, good morning, Celebration Church. Good morning. I don't know about y'all, but I'm happy to be here. Any time that I can come and talk about how good God is, I'm ready. I'm ready. Before we get into the... The message, let's just uh, take a minute to pray for our nation. We're going through a lot of stuff right now, but God is the answer. God is the only answer. Amen? So just pray with me. Father, I just come to you and just uh, on behalf of our nation, we just lift everyone up to you across this place. God, you, you are everything we need. Every, everyone on this planet needs that relationship with you. That's the only thing that will change hearts. So we just lift this up to you this morning. That your love would draw everyone to you and their hearts would be changed. They would seek you first in all that they do. We lift that up to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, I'm excited about the message. I I have a word for you. I have a word for you. And, And it will bless you. You can take it and use it if you'll do it. It's up to you to do it. And uh, we're talking, we're going over the classics, and mine today is David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. When I've been studying on this, I've learned so much that I didn't know. And it's just an amazing story. But, you know, to kick this off, Saul, King Saul was the, the king over Israel. And Saul had done some good things right, he had done some things wrong. And so we pick up this story in 1 Samuel 13, 14. And Samuel the prophet is telling Saul, he says, Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Saul didn't keep what God commanded. So now God is looking for a man after his heart. And this is where David comes into the picture. See, right after this, God told Samuel, he said, go to Jesse. He has these sons, and you're going to anoint one of his sons as king. He'll be the next king. So Jesse, he starts bringing all of his sons before the prophet Samuel. Samuel, And God says, no, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. And finally, he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? He said, yeah. Uh, The youngest, uh, apparently we don't think too much of him, he's out tending the sheep didn't even bring him to the party. He says, bring him. We're not going to sit down and eat until he's here. And when he shows up, said that David was dark, he was handsome, but he he was just a youngster. But God said, this is him. And so Samuel, the prophet, he anointed David with oil. And it says, the Spirit of God come on David mightily from that point forward. As we go on with the story of David, you remember when Goliath was defying the armies of God and no one wanted to fight Goliath. He's like nine and a half feet tall. He'd been a warrior from his youth. Well, David shows up on the scene. You know, King Saul was afraid to fight him. The army of Israel was terrified. And David's immediate response is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? He wasn't... Um, you know, amazed at the giant. He wasn't nervous about the giant. He knew he had God on his side, and he tells Saul. He said, "I'll fight this guy. I'll take him out. I'll kick his big rump all over the hillside." He says, "I'm not afraid of him." Saul says, "You can't do this. You're just a young youngster. You're just a boy. He's a, he's been a, a fighting man from his youth." David says, "I've killed lions. I've killed bears." you know God delivered me from their hand and he'll deliver me from this guy also so Saul consents and you got to think about this Saul put the whole future of the nation of Israel on the shoulders of David and David runs to fight the giant and he slays him so then David he becomes a favorite in Israel and Saul likes him at this point Saul you know he sends him out he puts him in charge of a lot of the military you know, David winds up writing a lot of the psalms, about 73, possibly 75 of the psalms. Everything's going good. And then they're coming in from battle one day and the women come out and they're singing, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Oh, immediately, Saul's, uh, just the way he looked at David changed in that instant. He said, oh, this guy He's after my throne. He's going to take my place. I need to get rid of him. So he starts plotting to kill David. This is the David that just saved his bacon from the giant. It's made him look good, conquering all these enemies around him. And now he wants to take him out. He wants to take him out. David is so loyal, so honorable had so much respect for God and for the position that Saul had <clears throat> that twice, while Saul is pursuing him, trying to kill him, David had opportunity twice to take Saul out, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He said, no, he, he's God's anointed. I will not kill him. Even though when his, his men were urging him, kill him, take him out while you have a chance, he refused to do it. That's the character of of David. What an awesome guy! Later on, we see that Saul and his three sons get killed in battle. David becomes king, and immediately David starts to conquer all those nations around him that have been giving him all the trouble. And we see in Second Samuel uh, chapter eight and verse fourteen says he put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went because he was a man after God's heart. He was pursuing God at that point, And the Lord gave him victory. So when you're on fire for God, like David was, you'll walk into victory. It'll come easier for you. When you're on fire for God, you'll walk into victory. David defeated David. The Philistines, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, the Aramites, the Ambites. <laughs> he, he defeated them all. He was a tough guy. I love David. David also had what he called his mighty men, 37 of them in all. These were tough guys. They supported David militarily, politically. They were loyal to him. One of these guys, I can't pronounce his name, so I won't try. He killed 800 men with a spear. 800 men with a spear. That's a full day's work. (laughs) Amen? That takes some doing. Another one of these mighty men was a guy named Uriah the Hittite. We're going to read more about Uriah later. But he was married to Bathsheba. But he was one of David's mighty men. Now, David didn't have it all together because it says he had many wives, eight that we know of. Yeah, he's got, yeah, oh, Lord, he's got a problem. (laughs) Oh, Lord, yeah. I mean, one, one's plenty. One is plenty. I've been married to the same one for almost 42 years. She's been plenty. She's been plenty. (laughs) But David's first wife was named Michal. She was Saul's daughter. And she loved David. She loved David. She once helped David escape from her father by letting him out the window. But she didn't have a love for God like David had. Later on, you see where David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he was leaping and dancing in his Fruit of the looms, literally. (laughs) And she looks out her window and she sees him doing this and she despises him for doing that. So when he comes into the palace later, she starts blasting him over it. You know, said, Man, you just made a spectacle out of yourself. David's response was, Yes, and I don't even do more than this. Because David honored God, and he would go beyond measure to honor God at this point in his life. You know, an interesting part of that story, apparently David never slept with her again. It was like, boom, that's the end of that relationship. She died childless. David also had concubines. That was like a secondary wife. You know, if they weren't getting fully satisfied or they wanted to have more kids, then they go get them a concubine. It's kind of like a rent-to-own furniture store, I guess. (laughs) But I think it's safe to say here that David had a a lust problem. You know, he, he had a problem with lust, and lust is a horrible horrible thing I've already been in trouble I might as well say it but you know I've seen this in operation I've seen it Laurie and I have been married almost 42 years but when we started dating man she had the hots for me she just (laughs) she was just lusting it was sad poor girl she was suffering she was suffering and you know, the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn with lust. I, I said, you know, I hate to see you suffer. Let's get married. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, she's still burning after forty-two years. So. <laughs> <laughs> David didn't need another wife. He needed counseling. And <laughs> I may need some counseling after this too. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 says, In the spring, at the time kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now this is the time of the year when the kings are supposed to be out with their armies leading them into battle in David's home, taking it easy, letting someone else do his job for him. That's what complacency does. See, when you get complacent, you'll let someone else do things for you that you should be doing yourself. See, David was probably so satisfied with all of his accomplishments and where he was in his position that he got complacent. He quit seeking God like he should have. God wasn't at the top of his list anymore. Now he's complacent, and when you're complacent, you become self centered. Complacency means to be overly content, satisfied with yourself, pleased with yourself, satisfied where you are in life. See, now it's all about you, it's not about God first. Complacency promotes self centeredness, complacency is the killer. The forward progress. It's the, the killer of relationships. It's the killer of moral values. Complacency lets others do for you what you can do for yourself. It makes you lazy in your pursuit of God. let others study for you instead of you studying the word yourself. It makes you neglect your personal prayer time. You can allow on a prayer chain for your prayer life When you know one simple prayer in faith is more powerful than any prayer chain out there. One simple prayer in faith. Complacency rests on the past instead of preparing for the future. It's the architect of a downward spiral. Complacency says family is important, but you don't spend any time with them. It says physical fitness is important, but you don't eat right or exercise. But worst of all, complacency says God is important. But you don't nourish that relationship. You don't spend time with him. This is where David had got to. You know, there's an old saying, curiosity killed the cat. I don't believe that. Complacency killed the cat. I'll tell you why. When you're curious, you're pretty alert to what's going on because it's something new. So you're paying attention to what's going on around you. I'll give you an example. A few few years ago, I'd bought a motorcycle. Uh, I always had motorcycles growing up, go-karts, motorcycles. Laurie was raised with horses, so she didn't really understand the motorcycle thing. But I bought one. It was a a Honda. It was designed to cruise the Autobahn in Germany at 100 miles an hour. That's what that bike was designed for faster you went on it, the more it hugged the road. I love that bike. But one Sunday afternoon, just out of curiosity, I took it out toward Water Valley. Just wanted to see what it'd do. You know, I mean, if you own a motorcycle, you got to know what it'll do. Just something about them. Well, I knew it was governed to 138 miles an hour, but I shifted in to fifth gear at 115, and then I'm catching the traffic so fast I back off and so Anyway, go home, had my fun. My daughter's there, my youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, Mandy, and she likes fast things. And uh, so secretly, quietly, I'm telling Mandy what i had done because I knew she'd get a kick out of it. And Laurie, she's in the kitchen, and I promise you, she could hear a fly burp at 100 yards. <laughs> she's got the most incredible ears. And so she hears me. And, oh, does he ever come unglued? What do you think you're doing? You know, we depend on you. You're out here acting like an idiot, and you need to get rid of that bike, and rah, rah, rah. So I sold the bike, and I went and bought a bigger one. <laughs> uh, it wasn't as fast, but it was bigger. And so I'm riding it into town one day, and I come up to that intersection by Sam's Club, 2288 Highway 67, on this big bike. And I'm complacent. And I drive right through the red light. I mean, I just drove up there and drove right through it. And about halfway through it, I realized what I had done. Thank God there was nobody coming. But see, complacency makes you oblivious to danger. If I had been curious, I'd have been paying attention. But I wasn't paying attention that day. Could have cost me my life. But now we get into the meat of the story here with David. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 2 says one evening David got up from his bed probably sleeping all day taking it easy staying up like a night owl he wasn't working the graveyard shift because he was king so it wasn't like he had to sleep during the day but he's walking around on the palace on the roof of the palace and from the roof he sees a woman bathing at that point He should have looked away. At that point, he shouldn't have took a second look. It was not uncommon for them to bathe on top of their roofs back at that time because the roofs had a a wall around them. So the only way you'd see someone bathing if you're in a building that was higher. Well, David sees this woman bathing, and he hollers at his servant, Bring my binoculars. (laughs) And he zooms in. He sees that she's pretty. And he becomes the first peeping Tom that we know of. <laughs> but it says the woman was beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man came back with the report. He says, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That should have stopped David in his tracks right there. Because what this guy was telling him was, this is the granddaughter of Ahithophel, who was David's closest advisor. She's the daughter of Eliam, one of your mighty men, and she's the wife of another one of your mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. These were people that were extremely loyal to David, extremely loyal, were willing to give their life for David. You think that would slow him down? No. At this point, the lust was so horrible that it didn't slow him down one bit. and says then that David sent messengers to get her. It doesn't say David sent messengers, hey Bathsheba, would you like to come tour the, the palace, you know, and know you're rise away at war because I sent him off to war and we got a lot of historical artifacts in here. It wasn't anything like that. He sent men to get her. Another translation says he sent men to take her. They took her. So, She probably didn't know what was going on. She might have been thinking that David had word about Uriah. You know, he'd been off at war. You know, he could have been calling her in and saying, I'm sorry, you know, your husband's been killed at war. You can't really blame Bathsheba for what happened. He's the king. If she refuses to go, he could have her put to death. But he he brings her back to his palace. And it says, she came to him and he slept with her Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went home, and the woman conceived, and she sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Whoa. Whoa. You know, one of them times, you want to get away? Remember that commercial? I'm sure that's the way David felt. But here's, we go back and look at this a second. Complacency led to laziness. To self-centeredness, to wandering eyes, to lusting, to betrayal, to adultery. Now to an innocent child on the way. See, David had been a man of character up to this point. But he was in pursuit of God prior to this. But character must be maintained. Character has to be maintained. And you do that by pursuing God. See, complacency corrupts godly character this is what David fell into I really don't believe that David would have done this earlier in his life you remember when he went to fight Goliath he was all about God he was all about God there ain't nothing holding me back I'll take this big devil out just give me a chance and then later on he was still all about God even when Saul was trying to kill him and he refused to kill Saul when he had the chance see he had godly character at that point but something happened something happened and it was complacency you get satisfied where you are and we can all do this I've done this many times in my life things are going good I haven't been begging and pleading God for anything things are going good and all of a sudden you start backing off a little bit and then you're not spending time with God like you used to You know, it's easy to fall into that trap. And that's exactly what it is, is a trap. See, complacency hurts those around you. It puts your centers it centers on your own desires instead of God's desires for you. And it does not think things through. David didn't think this through. He didn't think about the ramifications that could come from what he was doing. So, now he's in a bind. He's got his most loyal warrior's wife pregnant. So, what does he do? Well, he'll fix this. He says in 2 Samuel 11:6, David sent this word to Joab: Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. So, Uriah had been off at war. David brings him back, he brings him to the palace. He said hey how's it been going how's the fighting you know how's joab how's everybody and then he tells him going home to your wife you know we'll give you a little little rest here well the next morning david gets up your eyes sleeping on the doorstep of the palace he is such a loyal soldier that he will not go home to sleep with his with his wife now he's been away at war for a while you know, he's ready for a rest. He's ready to be in his own bed and everything else that goes with it. But he, he refused to do that because he was so loyal to David, so loyal. So David's got to come up with another plan. He says, well, I'll get him drunk. I'll spend the day, I'll get him drunk, and I'll send him home then. And surely, you know, he'll go sleep with his wife. And after he comes back from war next time, she'll be pregnant you know, he'll think it was his child. That's what he was trying to do. Still trying to cover up. Wasn't happening. Uriah slept at the door of the palace again. Man, this guy's so loyal. So loyal. And what happens next is just incredible. David's in full panic mode. He'll apt to do most anything at this point. So in 2 Samuel eleven fourteen. 14 says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to, to Joab. You know what? I missed something here. <laughs> hey, do we got the complacency picture? I missed a major portion. I was, as you'll see, I was working on my carport yesterday. This is a, an example of complacency. And I was welding, and I was really getting with it, and I forgot what I was doing, And I welded my ladder inside my purling. (laughs) You know, the bottom one wasn't a problem because I could lift it over the bottom one. But when I put the top one in, I had to move my ladder and I just wasn't paying attention. I was so anxious to get on the other end and weld. And you know what I'll be doing this afternoon, cutting out purling and (laughs) welding pieces back in. But anyway, yeah, I don't know how I left that out earlier. But uh, 2 Samuel eleven fourteen 14 says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And in it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. How low can you get? I mean, you've got this guy here. He has fought battle after battle for you. He won't even go home to be with his wife. You can't get him to go home. He's sleeping on your doorstep because he's loyal. He thinks he needs to protect you. And now you write his death sentence in a letter and you let him carry it out to the commander of the army. How low can you get? Well, let me tell you something. When you don't pursue God consistently, emphatically, it can happen. It can happen to anybody So, a memory refresh from complacency to laziness to self-centeredness to wandering eyes to lusting to betrayal of friends to adultery to an innocent child on the way to an attempted cover-up to murder. This is the progression. This is what happened with David. Uriah's name in Hebrew means light of the Lord light of the Lord so you could say that complacency led to snuffing out the light of the Lord and it can happen to David it can happen to any of us if we are not persistent and consistent in our pursuit of God see we can get complacent and get involved in things that we should not Amen. it's easy to do we can all make excuses for what we are doing, but they're just excuses. We can let our complacency affect our relationships, our families, our moral values, our political views, our character. And slowly, over time, the light of the Lord gets snuffed out in our life. It's a horrible place to be, but we all need to check ourselves. Are we allowing Complacency to deny God's light to shine in your life? We need to look at ourselves and, and think about that. You know, sad part of this story too. After Uriah was killed, Bathsheba mourned for Uriah. She mourned for her husband. It doesn't sound like, oh, she was happy he was gone. Let's go move in with the king. No, she mourned for her husband. And David had to wait till she was through mourning. And then he brought her to become his wife. Bathsheba delivers the child that David had fathered. And about this time, God sends Nathan the prophet to David with a little story and a message. He says, David, he said there was a city. Two men lived, one very wealthy, had lots of cattle, lots of sheep. Also, there was a poor man. He had one little sheep. And said he treated it like part of the family. He cuddled it. His kids played with it. It was all he had. The rich man had a guest come. And he wanted to barbecue a sheep for his guest. So he takes the sheep of the poor man. And he feeds his guest with it. David hears this story and he's enraged. He said, whoever did that deserves to die. And we pick it up in 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. See, David had everything. He had multiple wives, concubines. He had all the wealth, the best of everything. And he went and stole from the poor man his friend, his loyal servant. He takes his wife and has him killed. It all started... With complacency. You know, God told David through Nathan. He said, if you needed more, I would have given you more. God wasn't withholding from David. He would have given him more wives if that's what he wanted. He would have. You're sad. (laughs) You don't need more, buddy. But uh, there were consequences. You know, unfortunately, with David... God forgave David for what he did. He repented, but there were still consequences. His family was ripped apart. You know, the bottom line is for us, complacency today will lead you to compromise what you believed yesterday. Complacency today will lead you to compromise what you believed yesterday. See, we're not in a covenant like David had. We're in a better covenant Their sins were held against them back then. David paid for those sins. But Jesus has paid for our sins. We're in the new covenant. The covenant of grace. It says God is not holding our sins against us. Now when we sin against someone else. There is horizontal consequences. But there's not vertical consequences from God. We're in the best age to be living. But even at that We can get so far off track if we get complacent in our relationship with God. It is not worth it. As Brandon said earlier, God is everything. He's everything we need. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. But it only works for you if you believe that in your heart. Amen? You know, uh, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would invite you to know him. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you're here and you're in a problem of some kind, God hasn't left you. You just need to change your thinking. You need to come back. You know, repentance means to change your thinking. It's not getting on the floor and groveling around and foaming at the mouth. That's not what it's about. It's simply changing your thinking. Line it up with what God says. So if you're here and you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I'd encourage you, just lift your hand because I want to pray with you. It's the easiest thing you'll ever do. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. You just say, I accept what Jesus has done for me. You to Just raise your hand. Everybody with their heads bowed. Yes. Yes. Just, just pray with me. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he did for me at the cross that my sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. One day I will be with you in paradise because I place my trust in you today. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.